Well, 2 Kings 6 tonight is actually going to be our text. And I want to begin reading in verse number 24. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It's been a little while since we've been in the life of Elisha. But the last thing we looked at was about uh, the blindness uh, that... Uh, if you remember that, uh, I think I called it the battles of the blind. And it had uh, those that uh, could see where they couldn't see. And those that couldn't see, Elisha prayed and had the, his eyes opened up where he could see the chariots around about. And, uh, you know, that's our pro- sometimes our problem is that we don't see what we ought to see. And then we, uh, we look at what we're not supposed to look at. We're focusing on the right things. And we looked at some of those things in chapter number 6 with the, with the host, with the bands of Syria that were plaguing the nation of Israel. And when we come to verse number 24, it says that it came to pass after this, so after these things, that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. Now, I do want to clarify just any confusion that you might see uh, in the text if we were to read those texts back to back at verse number 23 where it says that the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. After, you remember, their eyes opened up. Elisha had led them uh, somewhere else. I can't remember where they were, but they said, this isn't Samaria. Uh, This is somewhere else, wherever that was. And... uh, (laughs) And, uh, and, and the king of Israel, that would be Jehoram, and we're going to talk about him tonight, said, all right, this is the time. Let's, let's get them. Let's, let's get them. Let's, let's kill them right here. And Elisha said, whoa, 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 we're not going to kill them. Why don't you make them a meal instead? Show them some mercy. And the Bible says that after that, the bands of Syria, verse 23, came no more to the land of Israel. So you thought, well, man, that hospitality, that kindness that kept all of Syria away. But then you get to verse 24, it says, And it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So what is it? Did the bands of Syria not bother Israel anymore? Or did, uh, 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 or, or, or are they coming back? Well, it looks almost like a contradiction. Obviously, how many of you know it's not one? So we got to figure out what it is saying right there. Well, obviously, there's a difference between the bands of Syria and the host of Syria. The bands of Syria would be like little militia, just kind of little renegade groups that would go on their own little missions and try to, uh, you know, rip off Israel when they could and, and just kind of to put stuff in their own pockets, little, little pockets of rebels, if you will, from Syria. It wouldn't have been the official army under King Benadad. Those little rebel uh, uh, militias, they quit bothering Israel after that. But Benadad, the king, uh, obviously didn't care what the little rebel militia groups were doing or not doing. Uh, He was going to do what he wanted to do. And so he decides to go up and besiege Samaria. That's very important. Samaria is the capital of Israel. Uh, And there was, verse 25, a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. How many of y'all are hungry now? Just kidding. 
And as the king of Israel was passing upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty gruesome right there, isn't it? That's exactly what it says. I, I don't know any other way to, 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 to interpret that other than just what it says. That really happened. Isn't that amazing? Verse 30. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes. And he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him, but ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Question mark. A question about what God is doing in the city of Samaria. Some of the most unthinkable, horrific accounts here. Uh, I don't even know. I'm almost at a loss for words about all the things that we've just read about. All the things that are going on here in this text. It just it is. It just presents it like here it is. Um, and it's some pretty gruesome things that we have to grapple with here uh, tonight. We see that the Syrian army, what is causing this, these gruesome acts of desperation? It's amazing what people will do to survive. It's amazing what people will do to, uh, to avoid death. Uh, never say never. I think there are some nevers in, for me in this text here. I'm very picky about what I eat. It wouldn't even have to come to eating a child uh, it would be the, the dove's dung would do it for me. Uh, I'm just going to be honest about it. Uh, I would be like, nah, I'll just starve to death. I'm good. Thank you, though. I'm, I'm all right. I'm fasting for the next 78 days. I'll be all right. Um, but it's amazing the will to survive, the depravity of man. So many things at work here uh, in this text. And what is causing all of these troubles in Samaria is the fact that they have been besieged by Benadad, the 
king of Syria. This besieging, you probably know exactly what it is, but let me tell you what's going on here, what's causing all these troubles within Samaria. Samaria is a walled city. Like most major cities, they would have a wall. You find it talked about here that the king was on the wall and passing by on the wall. Most of these cities had a large wall, which is great for defense, right? That's what a wall is for. It's to keep people out that you don't want out. It's so that you can control uh, the inflow and the outflow of, uh, of traffic. So you only let inside the city who you want to let inside the city and you only let out who you want to let out. So walls can be an absolutely wonderful thing. But when a, a, an opposing military leader besieged a city, what he would do is he would take the walls that were meant to defend the city and he would use those walls against that city. What was actually a blessing and what was actually meant for protection was now used for destruction. And it was used for, uh, uh, for uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a starving out of the people, if you will. So what they would do is they would make a perimeter outside of the walls of the city and when uh, people would come and, 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 and suppliers would come to bring food inside the city, obviously they would limit that. They would not let anybody bring any food in the city. Nobody could go out and harvest uh, uh, fields and crops and stuff like that. Nobody could bring food in. So eventually what would happen is they would starve the people out. And the idea was is that a military uh, leader could... Uh, to, could take down an entire city without uh, any casualties at all. He wouldn't have to lose any of his... They wouldn't have to lift a finger. They would not have to raise a sword, raise a spear. They could literally kill everybody or cause them to surrender uh, just simply by uh, controlling... Uh, what food goes in and, and what comes out, who comes in, who comes out. And it was known as besieging a city. They would cut off all supplies to that city and they would just wait. All you had to do was just wait. It was a waiting game. It was the long game. You could wait for that city to starve or you could wait for them to surrender. And if you can imagine, that greatly affected the economy of Samaria. Do you see that? It talks about uh, that the, an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver, 80 pieces of silver. Uh, you read different commentators and you'll get different You'll get different uh, opinions on money values and how to translate that in our economy and everything. But what, what most people agree on is that was a lot of money uh, for a donkey's head. How much would you pay for a donkey's head to eat? Well, probably not very much, but if that's all there was, what if you got kids starving at home? They don't have anything to eat. Would you not empty out your bank account to feed your children? All your savings, all your money? I know I would. I think I would have enough money to probably feed my kids for, I don't know, maybe a day and a half maybe. <laughs> Sorry guys, we're done. <laughs> and a, a cab of dove's dung, best I can tell that cab of Dove's dung is just simply about a, about a pint is what that is right there. Ugh. 
shekels of all these shekels of silver. They say that that that, that the, the pieces of silver and the shekels and all that that these, you're getting close to a year's salary for a pint of dove's dung for a head of a donkey. These are just simply the results of, you learn this in economics, right? Supply and demand. When the supply is low and the demand is high, guess what? Prices, they skyrocket. Uh, and when uh, the opposite is true. Prices go down. And so what do you have here? I mean, this is, I mean, honestly, if we elect Joe Biden one more time, I think this is about where we're going to be. What do y'all think? I don't know. That's just what I think. Maybe. Pretty close. Have y'all noticed anything skyrocketing? You used to spend $100 at Walmart, and it took me about three or four trips to get it in the house. Now I can just, it's like one bag. <laughs> and that's what's, going on here, the economy. And it got so bad that you see the story that's given here. To eat your own son. I, I don't even know how you could even imagine that. But that's where they are. I want you to see the people of God. I'm talking about these are, these are not heathens. These are the people of God. These are the covenant people of God. These are people that had access to the Word of God and the man of God, and yet you find them living like a bunch of savages right here in Samaria. And this lesson is an, uh, is an awful lesson to have to learn by experience, but it is a lesson that you must learn, and that is this, is that there is always a price to pay for your actions. Now listen to me. There is always a price to pay. And that's what I want to preach on just for a minute. I want to show you this here, that there is always a price to pay. Every decision that you make has a consequence. It has an outcome. You can't just live like, you, you, you can't just do what you want to do and ignore God and live the way that you want to live and then expect things just to be honky-dory all the time in your life. I'm here to tell you, friend, that every decision that you make determines your destiny. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of the things that are going on in this text, these aren't things that just happened because of circumstance. These are things that were invited by the people of God. And I'll show that to you here in just a minute. But when I think about that word invited, I think about, I think about a, uh, uh, an illustration that uh, a preacher gave several years ago. I was listening to Brother, Brother McBride, and I may have used this before, but it, just, it was such, such a vivid illustration. I thought it was really proves a point. And he was talking about when his daughter got married, they sent out invitations. And it went, you know, whenever there's a marriage or a birthday party or whatever kind of event going on, you would send out invitations. And they sent out invitations for this wedding. And he said, you know what an amazing thing is? The people they invited, most of them came. And when they came, here's what Brother McBride said. He said, when they came, when they showed up for the wedding, he didn't stop them at the door and say, hey, what are y'all doing here? That would be absurd because they would respond by saying what? Well, we were invited to come. 
And he said, every decision that you make in your life, every choice that you make in your life is like sending out an invitation. And a lot of times when the consequences of those actions, when they show up on our doorstep, we act surprised. Like, what are you doing here? The truth is, those consequences are here because we invited them to come. And you can't send out invitations and not expect people to not show up and expect people to not show up. I'm using all the negatives here. I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. You can't just send out invitations and expect people not to show up. If you send out an invitation, then more than likely they, they might come. Now, I'm glad every choice, every decision I've ever made, I'm glad God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. They don't always show up exactly. exactly. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't be surprised when they do. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's just the principle of the harvest. It's just the principle of life. And yes, I'm thankful we have a gracious God. I may talk about that here in just a minute. But listen, I, I, I know we do. But at the same time, you need to know that every decision, every choice you make is like sending out an invitation and don't be surprised when the guests show up. You know all these nasty things, all these things that are happening right here? You know what these are? These are just the guests showing up. They've been invited. Can I just say just a couple things, just very obvious things about this text right here? And let me say first of all, number one, there's a price to pay for being wicked. There's a price to pay for wickedness. And I want to tell you something. Remember this, that you are free to choose your sin. You can live however you want to live, and you can do whatever you want to do. Isn't that right? You, you can. You, you, God has given you a free will, and God has given you opportunities to make decisions and do what you want to do. You are free to choose your sin, but listen to me. You are not free to choose the consequences of your sin. Those are decided for you. Those are decided for you. There is always a price for forsaking God. The, the Bible says that, that the wages of sin is death. The Bible says when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I'm going to tell you, there's always a consequence. There's always a price to pay. And if you want to live wicked, if you want to live separate from God, if you want to live apart from God, if you want to live wayward in your life, don't be surprised when... These are the circumstances that you find yourself in. Doing things you never thought you'd do, paying prices you never thought you'd pay. How many of you know this? Sin will always cost you more than what you thought. Isn't that what the old song says? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you intended to stay. Don't we have a good illustration of sin costing them more than what they thought they'd ever pay? Don't you think, I never thought I'd pay this for that. I tell you, there's been a lot of people that are living in the effects and the consequences of their own choices and they're saying something exactly to that effect right there. I never thought I'd pay this for that. I want you to take your Bible, hold your place there, go to Deuteronomy 28 just very quickly. Go to Deuteronomy 28. Brother Garrett, if you could follow me on there. I didn't put that on there. I wasn't sure if I wanted to turn there or not, but I think I am going to turn there tonight. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There it is. Deuteronomy 28. 
And it's grotesque. Doesn't that seem, doesn't that seem gross? Like, who would have ever thought this would be the consequence of forsaking God? Who would have ever thought this would be the consequence of the people of Israel led by their wicked king Jehoram? Who would have ever thought this would be, this situation would ever be the price that they would have to pay for the decisions to forsake God that they had made? Can I tell you something? Uh, did you know Moses warned them about this? Moses warned them about the very things that are taking place in Israel in the text that we read. Moses warned hundreds of years earlier, Deuteronomy 28. God gave Israel specific descriptions. I'm talking about God through Moses gave Israel very, very detailed, specific things that would happen if they obeyed God. If you obey God, look at verse number one. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground. And I ain't going to take time to read this, but read just verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and read all the... God said, I will bless you here, and I will bless you there, and I will bless you here, and if you will just listen to me and obey what I tell you, I will bless you in a million different ways. That's what God told Israel. Look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. And you can it, curse, curse, curse. And you just keep on reading and keep on reading and keep on reading and turn the page and keep on reading. Look at verse number 47. Because thou, this is so interesting to me. Look at verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. By the way, you ought to serve God. Say amen right there. You ought to serve God. You ought to serve God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Say amen right there. You say why? For the abundance of all things. Has God been good to you? You ought to serve Him and you ought to serve Him with a smile. It ought not to be a drudgery to serve God. And he gave you breath. He gave you life. Man, look at how good God's been to us. Man, I'm not to be a drudgery to serve God. Anyways, verse 48. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies. Now, here's what I underline in my Bible. He said in verse 48, because thou servest not the Lord, verse 48, Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies. Now listen, draw a line from verse 47, because thou servest not the Lord, to verse 48. Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies. And I want you, hey, make this middle note right here. You're always going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. All the days of your life. This idea of, I just want to be free, and I want to be my own person, and I want to be my own entity, and I'm going to do my own thing. Listen, that is a pipe dream. 
That is a fantasy. You will serve. Now, you can't serve two. No man can serve two masters, but also no man can serve no masters. You'll either serve one or you'll serve the other. And here's what God said. God said, if you're not going to serve me, he said, you'll have to serve your enemies. You'll have to serve your adversaries, which the Lord shall send against thee. Now look, where's in verse 48? In hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in one of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Now look at verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the, as the eagle, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show, show favor to the young. That sounds like Syria to me. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thine kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. You know what he's saying? He's going to take all your food. Verse 52, And he shall what? Besiege thee in all thy gates, until thy high and fence walls come down, wherein thou trusted throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Look at verse 53, And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. You see all that? Listen, y'all picking up what I'm laying down here? What was going on in Samaria? Moses done warning him about that. He say, I never thought it would ever get this bad. You, you never did? You never thought it could get this bad? Well, you must not be familiar with Moses then. Because God warned them. He said, look, if you forsake me, and if you leave me, and if you rebel against me, and if you disobey me, listen, I'm going to let another nation come and besiege your city, and it's going to get so bad and so desperate that some of you will eat your own children. What? Can I tell you something? You can't just forsake God and there not be any consequences for it. You will reap what you sow. Listen, what goes up must what? Come down. It's almost like we, people have this idea they can just live however they want to live, not give God another thought, do whatever they want to do, and then everything's just going to be all right. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't work that way. There is a price to pay. And what the sad thing is, a lot of times when mom and daddy leave God and forsake God, it's the children that pay the price. I don't know how old that little boy was. At the, I, I, I don't know. I didn't want to think about that. I hope, I hope maybe somehow the boy had already started. I hope he was already dead. Maybe, maybe that was true. Maybe the other woman just hid the body of her, her son. I, I don't know. I couldn't. I don't, I don't want to know. But can I tell you? That's sin for you. Sin will make you do things you never thought you'd ever do. But listen, don't say God didn't warn you. 
Everybody in this church has been warned multiple times over. In fact, probably we've probably been warned so much we don't even think about it anymore. Oh, there's another message on sin. Another message on how bad sin is. I guess I need to check my Facebook tonight. I'm going to zone out and think about something else. Listen, if any man, if you think you standeth, hold on a second. You better take heed. You better take heed. Because it could be you. It could be you next. It could be me next. I ain't above nothing. You're not above nothing. I ain't better than anything. You're not better than anything. And it'd be just unthinkable. Unthinkable. You say, what is that? That's the price to pay for sin. It's the price to pay. Sin messes with your mind. It warps your mind. It warps your... I mean, even I can't imagine even in my most desperate hour doing something like this. You say, what? It's a nation that has gotten away from God. They've lost their sanity. They've lost their morality. They've lost their scruples. They've lost any modicum of sense at all. That's what sin does. Sin makes you stupid, don't it? There's a price to pay for being wicked. Number two, there's a price to pay for for waiting. There's a price to pay for waiting. I want you to notice there's a word in verse number 25. Go back to you. Go back to your 2 Kings, if you will. I'm back in 2 Kings chapter 6. I see what time it is. I'm trying to trying to hurry here. I've spent too much time on that first one, probably. But listen. There's a price to pay for wedding. Notice this verse. There's a word in verse number 25. It says, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces. So here, that word until got a hold of me. Until. I, under, I circled in my Bible. I circled that word until. Until. You know, you know Samaria besieged, I mean, uh, uh, Syria besieged Samaria. But they didn't run out of food day one. They didn't run out of food day two. I would think. I would think there was probably enough supplies in that city. And again, I'm just speculating. But I would think as a as a as a city of commerce and and a capital city, I would think that there's reserves and there's supplies. Now the Bible doesn't give us a timeline. It doesn't tell us how long. All it tells us is that there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until the donkey's head went for this much. Money and the cab of Doug's ducks, uh, dove's dung went for this much money, and all that. And it, you know what that means? That means slowly, steadily, the prices started going up. Supply started going down, and demand started going up, and prices started going up. That means you, everybody could see where this was going. Everybody knew what direction it was heading. Did they take it for one day, one week, one month, six months, eight months, ten months? I have no idea how long. But can I tell you? I, t- I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw, hey, we're surrounded. We're we're not going to be able to defeat them. We're going to starve to death. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what I would do. I think I would get on my hands and on my knees and I would say, God, save us. Lord, we're sorry. We repent. I submit to you this. I think this is true. I don't think things had to get that bad. Things got bad in Samaria. How many of y'all agree with that? How many believe it had to get that bad? I don't think it did. Can I tell you something? The longer you wait to repent and the longer you wait to turn to God, let me just tell you something, the worse it gets. 
the worse it gets. Listen, one trip, one trip. Finally, when the king heard this story about this mama boiling her son and he, and he could not stand it any longer and he had enough and he didn't go to Elisha with the right attitude, but he finally went to the man of God and guess what? God said, tomorrow we'll fix this thing. Tomorrow, one day, less than 24 hours later, things were looking up. Less than 24 hours later, things were getting better. I wonder if he'd have done that a month ago. I wonder if he'd have done that six months ago. What would have happened? Listen, it's never too late to go to God to repent necessarily, but listen, it's never too early. Keep short accounts with God. Do not be a waiter. Do not be a lingerer. Do not be a procrastinator. When God convicts you about something, when there's sin in your life, and you feel that hand of conviction, that hand of chastisement, humble yourself before God. Get it right immediately and you will limit the damage it does in your life. There's a price to pay for waiting. Don't wait. Don't wait. And listen, I'm glad there's forgiveness. I'm glad. Listen, aren't you thankful we have a God of grace and mercy and it don't matter how long it's been. I don't care if you've been backslid for 30 years. I don't care if you haven't been right with God. Uh, listen, in a century. Listen, I'm glad there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. But listen, that doesn't mean you're going to get everything back. The longer you wait, the more you're going to lose things that you'll never get back. Now listen, the king finally rent his clothes, went to Elisha. God said, tomorrow this will start to ease up. But can I tell you something? There's a mama in that city. She didn't get her baby back. She didn't get the baby, the baby didn't resurrect. The baby didn't appear again. That baby is gone. That little boy, or I say a baby, I don't know, he just says son, I don't know. That boy's gone. You say, what are you saying? I'm just saying there's a price to pay for waiting. The longer you wait, the higher your bill will be. Keep short accounts with God. Claim 1 John 1, 9 daily. How about hourly? How about get it under the blood just as quick as you can? Some of you got unconfessed sin. It's lingering around and it's lingering around. And the more you let it stay there, the more day, it's like a cancer in your body. And the longer it stays, the more it grows and the more damage it does and the more organs it affects. And can I tell you what you need to do is get it under the blood just as quick as you possibly can. Don't wait around. There's a price to pay for wickedness. There's a price to pay for waiting. Can I tell you, I don't have time to preach all this, but there, there's a price to pay for being a watchman. I thought about just the leader. Just, just the, when you're in a place of responsibility, the decisions that you make, they affect other people. This is what really got it. And I'm just going to touch this and I'm going to move on. But listen, this king, he's just walking around on the wall like... like Nothing's a big deal. You know, he's just walking around. And, so, and this woman cries out to him, verse 26. Help! Help! Oh, Lord. My Lord, oh, King. And the king just kind of gives, gives her a little cynical answer in verse 27. If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Like, you know, if God can't help, like God's not, and I'll get to this in a second, but God's not doing anything for us. So what's I'm, what am I going to do? God's left us just to die. 
What am, what am I supposed to do to help thee? He said, what, you, you want me to help you out of the, out of, out of the, out of the barn floor uh, or out of the wine press? He's being sarcastic. It's like, if, it's like if we were in a famine, there was no food anywhere around here at all, and somebody would say, preacher, help me. And I would say, what, you, what, you want me to run the food line and just get you something? You, you, you want me to just go through I'll go to the drive-thru at McDonald's. What do you want? Well, there's, there's no, he's being sarcastic. And then this woman tells him her story. And this is what gets a hold of him. She tells of the gruesome story in verse 30. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes, that he rent his clothes. You know what he, he said? I can't take it anymore. My decisions have caused this damage. And yeah, these women were responsible for their own actions, no doubt about it. But can I tell you what this king did? This king led the nation in rebellion against God, just like his daddy did, Ahab, just like his mama did, Jezebel. This is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And just like, just like his mom and dad did, and now they're paying the price, and he sees the effects of the decisions that he made. Can I just tell you something? Everybody in here, you need to know this, that your decisions, they affect other people. If you're a mom and daddy, you just know that your decisions to live for God or rebel against God, they will affect your children. And you may not like how that, you may not like how that turns out. And there's been a lot of moms and daddies, they do their own thing and want to live their own way. And then when their kids finally get, and, 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 and they're face to face with the decisions of their children, and I know the children are responsible for what they do, but sometimes it's because of the position that the parents have put them in there's churches in a mess because of pastors. There's homes in a mess because of parents. And listen, I'm telling you, every single one of us in here, you got somebody that is watching you. You are not an island unto yourself. You do not live to yourself. You do not die to yourself. Every decision you make, it affects somebody else. And there's a price to pay as a leader. There's, there's, there's a different kind of hurt there's a different kind of pain when you realize somebody's hurting themselves because of decisions that you've made, because of things you should have done but didn't do. I'll tell you something. There, I'm, I'm going to be honest. There are things that I live with, and I, I'm, other than the grace of God to help me with those things, there are, there are decisions that I've made either to do something or more than, more than not, it's been not to, do, not to intervene, not to, not to try to warn somebody, not to try, which, which, which I'm supposed to do. I'm a watchman on a wall. I should have blew the trumpet right there, and I didn't say anything, and I didn't do anything, and now I'm watching somebody just hurt themselves in ways that are painful to me because I know, you know what, I, I probably should have put them in a better situation than that. There's a price to pay. When you're in leadership, there is a price to pay. You better, you better do what you're supposed to do. I tell you what, I want more than anything. I want to be able to lay my head down at night on my pillow and say, I got a clean conscience. They may not have liked what I said, but at least I told them the truth. They might have not liked the decision I made, but at least I did what I was supposed to do. And um, anyways, I just saw that in the text as well. And then let me say this, and I'm done. There's a price to pay about wickedness and, and waiting and being a watchman. There's a price to pay 
for being wrong about God. You know, the worst part of this King Jehoram is he had a wrong view of God. This man was raised by God-haters. His mama's Jezebel. By the way, Jezebel's still alive at this point. Uh, she's still alive. Ahab is, is, is dead. Jezebel is still alive. She dies in a couple chapters later with Jehoram. Jehoram dies about the same time as his mama in chapter 9. But the worst part of this king was he had a wrong view of God. He's cynical of God, verse 27. He, he really, here's, the, here's what it comes down to. Verse 31, he blames God for the problem. He blames God. Now, I want you to listen. How many of y'all still with me? Man, I, I know, man, it's getting late. It's getting late. Listen, he blames God for what's going on in the city. Verse 31, then he said, God, do so and more also to me. By the way, that's what his mama Jezebel said when she was mad at Elijah. Anyway, he got that from mama. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. You know what he said right there? He rends his clothes. Here's this horrible story about what this woman did. He rends his clothes, and then instead of getting right with God, he says, you know what? I'm going to kill Elisha. I'm mad at him. Isn't it easier to get mad at the messenger than it is just to take accountability and say, Lord, I'm wrong. People, for some reason, people have the hardest time just saying, you know what, I'm wrong. I need to get right. They get mad at the preacher. They get mad at people that, that try to tell them the truth. That's exactly, what, that's exactly what Jehoram did. He said, all right, man, all these things are happening in here. You know what we're going to do? We're going to cut the head off Elisha. He blames God for his problems. At the end of verse 33, that statement is probably made by him. He said, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord? We've been waiting around here. God hadn't done nothing yet. This is all his fault. God hadn't done. But the truth is this. While he's saying he's waiting on God, listen. God was waiting on him. God was waiting on him. He was disappointed in God. He was expecting something out of God that God never promised him. Most people that are mad at God right now, there's a lot, there's a lot of people mad at God. All right, listen to me. Miss Maddie, go ahead and come on around. I'm about done, but listen. There's a lot of people that are mad at God. They don't say it, but they're mad at God. They think God, the, 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 the consequences that they're, and, the, and the things that they're living in, they blame God for it when really they need to look in the mirror. And they're waiting on God. Well, if God could just fix this, and I wish God would just change this, and, I wish, and God's up in heaven saying, I'm waiting on you, buddy. I'm waiting on you to get right. And while they sit there mad at God, because all this is spelled out, and if I had time, I would take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, where Solomon prays in that dedicatory prayer. He says, Lord, if, if Israel is besieged, and we call, if we get right with you and we call on you, will you hear us? And God answers Solomon in chapter 7. And you know what he says? He said, you know what, Solomon? If my people, which are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know what God told Solomon he'd do? A promise to the nation of Israel. This is a promise that Jehoram could claim rightly. All he had to do was tell the city, say, hey, we're getting right with God. Everybody put on sackcloth and ashes. Everybody get in the dust. Everybody confess every sin you've ever committed in your whole life. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's see what God will do. If he'd have done that day one, 
They wouldn't have been spending all kind of money for all kind of weird things. They wouldn't have been eating babies. They wouldn't have been doing none of that. But instead of getting right, he got mad at God. And there's a lot of, you'd be surprised the people in this room that are mad at God right now. You're mad because of things that are going on, circumstances of your life right now. You say, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? When what would be amazing is what you find out, if you'll get clean with God, what you'll find out, you'll find out that things might change. God may just want to change you from the inside out. Let me tell you something. God's perfect. He don't have any problems. He ain't never been wrong. God ain't never been wrong about one thing. And if you're button heads with God, can I tell you something? He ain't wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. I got a million reasons to be mad at me. I ain't got one good reason to be mad at God. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's always right. He ain't been nothing but good and wonderful and, a, and, and just everything that he said he would be and so much more. But there was never real repentance in his life, in Jehoram's life. He never, he never will. God ends up opening up windows in heaven, and I'll preach about that next time. Opening up windows in heaven and blesses them anyway. Sometimes God will just help you just because, just because he, he's God. And he'll do it anyway. And God does, no doubt about it. But this man, he never really, he had, can I show you one thing? I'm trying to shut up. We got to do this. I got to get out of here. Can I show you one thing? Look at verse number 30. This is so weird to me. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman, he rent his clothes, he passed by on the wall. And look what it says. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Most of the time when kings got right with God, I'm thinking about Nineveh and some of these places where the king, remember there was judgment, the king put on, you know what they do? They put on sackcloth and ashes. This king already had on sackcloth. That's what you wear when you're going to get right. That's humble clothes. And you're getting humble before God. The king put on sackcloth and then he put on his royal robes on top of it and that's what he was wearing. Isn't that weird? And it's almost like he wanted people to think that, well, I'm doing everything I can and God's just not holding up his end of the bargain. When how many of y'all know, obviously he shows when he got mad at Elisha, that's not the case at all. I tell you, a lot of people, you better, better watch out. Some people, they'll act like, well, I have got right with God. I, I've done everything I know to do and, it just, I, and, and God just... Nah, don't give me all that. Don't give me all that. He'd already had it on under, and he wanted everybody to see it. He took off his royal robe and said, See, here's my sackcloth and ashes. It was just a show for people to see. If you'll really get right, you'll really get clean. God will really get real in your life. I believe that. You know why? Because you can confess your sin because he's a father who loves his children. You don't blame God for anything. And I, I thought this would be very appropriate before we take this table right here just to examine our hearts tonight like we're commanded to do, right? Examine ourselves. And we need to get clean. And we need to get right with God. And we need to make sure there ain't nothing in our hearts, no animosity, no bitterness in our heart against God.
because he ain't ever done anything wrong. He's been nothing but good, nothing but good in our life. 